listening to The Future of Work by Singapore Institute of Management. I'm Graham Brown, your host, and in this show, we feature the leaders from across the region to discuss the forces, opportunities, and challenges that are shaping the future of work. This episode is part of the Dash Plus series that examines the four critical influences of Dash Plus framework, design thinking, agile and transformational thinking, systems thinking, and hyper-performance strategies, all to help you and your organization emerge stronger. Hello, everybody. Welcome. We are live. Welcome. Come in. Find yourself a seat in the webinar room. Great to have you here. Wonderful if you are back for a second, a third, a fourth, or a fifth round in this webinar series. Thank you very much for your time and joining us today. Today is all about hypergrowth. Hypergrowth to accelerate and scale your organization's performance. So thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us for part five in the SIM Dash Plus series led by Dr. Kevin Young. I'll introduce all the panelists today. Great news, the doctor is in the house today. So he will help us on this journey of discovery into the world of hypergrowth. And I'll explain a little bit about what hypergrowth is as well. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the webinar. Thanks for joining us on this afternoon here in Singapore. My name's Graham Brown. I'll be your guide to lead you through the landscape, the hypergrowth landscape. We'll be Talking case studies, stories, data, insights. We'll be using some interactive tools as well and talking about interaction. If you are first time here, then in the chat box below, you'll find it. There is an icon where you can say hello. So we like to interact with the audience. We can't see you. You can see us. So we want to know who you are. So what you want to do is in the chat box. So click chat, just say hello, say where you're from. It'd be great to hear from you. We want to know where you're from. If you're not from Singapore, we'd love to hear as well, because we do get a lot of people from all around the world join us for these webinars. So it's great to have you. You're all welcome. This isn't just about Singapore, even though we are broadcasting live from Singapore. So if this is the first time you've joined us, thank you for spending time with us. If you're back, even better. Great to see you back. Would like to know how many of these you've been part of before. So let's have a look at some of the comments coming in. I'll read some of them out as we go down. Hello, everybody. I won't read out all of your names, but I'll pick out some of them as they come in. So Sam from Singapore, been for three sessions or joined already for three sessions. Great to see you, Sam. Thanks for coming back. Obviously, you enjoyed it. So hopefully, we can live up to your expectations for part five. Sahithya from India. Hello, India. More from Singapore. Great to see. Good afternoon from Ho Chi Minh City. Hello, Vietnam. So we also have a lot more coming in from Singapore. Hello, everybody. Thank you. Somebody from the shipping industry. It's a bit random, but hello. You're all welcome because we're going to touch all industry today. Somebody from Singapore, Hong Kong. How about this? Hello, Lena from Singapore. Welcome back for fifth session. So five sessions. You will receive a medal 
at the end of this session for taking part. We really appreciate that. Thank you for joining us on this journey. Hopefully today we'll live up to your expectations. We're going to have a bit of fun, a bit of interaction and educate ourselves along the way. Talking about education, if you are... Sorry, what medal? All right, okay, I shouldn't have said that. You're going to get the bragging rights of having been to five sessions already. There's no actually no physical medals. I know I'm in Singapore. That's probably the wrong thing to do. If I said you're going to get something, you will get a PDF and glory in the afterlife. Now, if you've missed any of the previous sessions, here's how you can get a hold of all the archive. What you want to do is just take your phone, Take your phone like this and just scan that QR code in front of you. What that will do is it'll take you to the Future of Work podcast on Spotify, whereupon you can subscribe and get all of these webinars back catalog. So you will not miss a thing because there's a lot of information coming at you very fast today. I don't want you to miss a thing. So you can get all the other ones as well. If we talk about something, we've referenced a previous case study today and you want to go back and check out that or there's some data that you missed, go to the Future of Work podcast. This is not going to go away, this slide, because if you look at the next one at the bottom, it's going to pop up from time to time at the bottom of your screen. You can take your phone and scan that and that will take you to Spotify where you can get all the insights from these gentlemen and more introducing the panel of experts who I will ask to speak very shortly. So they will hold their fire, keep the powder dry for the next couple of minutes, just as we set the scene for today's webinar. We set the challenge of a very diverse group of industries to cover today. So it wasn't just about tech. We do talk a lot about tech, but we will cover many different industries today. So hopefully we can get a broad set of insights. Now, hypergrowth can be a little bit of a mouthful. What exactly is it? So I asked Dr. Kevin before this session, and he said, in his own words, how do you scale without screwing up? There you go. Speaking as it is, this is the challenge that faces business leaders today. There's a lot of stress, a lot of pressure on us business leaders. Now, you may be from a bank, you may be from a tech company, you may be from a shipping company, whatever it is that you're from, the challenge is scale. How do you scale, especially in a fast-moving environment, very dynamic where the customer needs change, technology changes, new competitors come and go. There's a lot of pressure on us as corporate leaders today. So we feel your pain. We're going to ask you to share some of your challenges in a minute in the poll. But before we get there, let's have a look at the broad set of stories out there at the moment. Just this week, L'Oreal, multi-billion dollar, multinational company, forced to shut down one of its Bright Hopes, the Clarisonic brand, which acquired to move into the tech space, complete disaster. I think whoever was behind that acquisition or that MNA is probably keeping their head down for the next couple of weeks and keeping quiet in L'Oreal, or they're being moved on maybe. Who knows? But this is real. This is a challenge we all face. We don't know the full, you know, behind the scenes of what happened here, but the pressure on brands like L'Oreal is to scale so they acquire the new and the shiny and sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes, well, as we see from the next case study, it may be more of the the company's problem itself. You remember this gadget? Kevin, you remember this? 
Well, I know you're laughing. Nokia, who were once the cell phone kings, what happened? What What is this? Just do you remember this gadget for starters? Engage. Did we ever see one here in Singapore? Did they make it out here? Well, this is the Nokia Engage, which was supposed to be the next big thing, but it was a complete disaster. If you owned one of these, I'd like to know in the chat box. Sorry if I'm giving it short shrift, but it didn't really get anywhere, maybe for a number of reasons. And these issues are going to come up again today. Some of it is because they misjudged the customer, and some of it is just due to corporate stupidity, as we'll see from this next one. So, for example, who in Pringles, for example, thought it was a good idea to celebrate Ramadan that they should advertise smoky bacon-flavored Pringles, for example. Sometimes you can't account for human stupidity, so feel safe today that there are people far more stupid than us here today out there making mistakes, but we want to focus on the mistakes that we can avoid. For example, who in Colgate thought it was a good idea to produce beef lasagna? Somebody in that company thought that this was a good idea. Maybe you thought it was a good idea, but the customers didn't generally. So that one didn't quite work out. And I guess that's the pressure. When you're in a, an, a, a very famous multinational brand like Colgate, how do you scale when you are now tempted to move into new categories, new areas? And this probably made sense at the time, and they probably did the research to back it up, but it didn't work out. And this one here, this is a challenge for Dr. Kevin again. Kevin, do you recognize this item? I asked a lot of people, and ev nobody got it right. Do you know what this is? Do I know what it is? Uh, it looks like a, a PC, a computer. A PC? Yeah, but, uh, All right, it's a console. Yeah, so Does anybody know, any of my panelists know who made this? No? Anybody in the audience, if you know, just put it in the chat. would love to hear. I surveyed many business leaders and industry leaders. Some people thought it was Nintendo, obviously, because it looks kind of like Nintendo. Microsoft. But would you Apple. believe that this, there you go, this was the Apple Pippin, which obviously didn't really make much of a splash, but that just goes to show that even some of the best brands in the world get it wrong. So, Kevin, what is going on? When we look at this, well, history is littered with corporate failures when they are tempted to scale. At the top level, what is the problem here? Before we dive into the individual case studies, what is the challenge we face as corporate leaders and how do they get yeah, it? Yeah, so I think, I think the three fundamental things when it comes to scaling that you always have to remember, the very first one's easy. We talk about it all the time at nauseum. Really, really understand your customer. And, and this requires you to, uh, a phrase that I like is handcraft the customer experience. Handcraft, you have to do it yourself. The, the, the business person, the leader, the founder must understand the, the business, uh, the, sorry, the, the customer yourself. Okay, so handcrafting your, your business matters. Second, uh, you must always understand what your core competency as a government is, or sorry, as a, as a company is, right? Always remember your core competency. And then when you need to pivot, pivot correctly. So take the Pringles, uh, Pringles example. Uh, it's funny that Graham shared the uh, Pringles example of uh, Ramadan smoky bacon. Uh, I can share an alternative example of what Pringles did during Christmas that worked really well. Uh, they found an Italian baker uh, who was a scientist who could uh, print stuff on bread. And they brought the technology and they printed like the face of Jesus or something at Christmas. And it was a real novelty and it worked perfectly well. So, so it's kind of interesting that the same company, with using the same strategy of uh, making Pringles uh, relevant for the holidays, 
can on the one hand succeed and screw up at the same time. And this has to do with not understanding your customer properly because you haven't handcrafted it yourself. And where is your core competency and where are you pivoting? I think these are the three key things any company, small or big, must always remember. Well, love it. Jesus bread. Did that fly? Yeah. <laughs> Apparently it was really popular in the, in the town that it was. I would love to see that. That is a good one. We Yeah. We'll have to bring that one up in a future webinar, right? That's a good one. I don't know. You're always a man, a fountain of wisdom when it comes to food-related case studies. Never far away. I, I was making it a point. <laughs> it's funny. I try to make it a point not to talk about food. Oh, we all relate to food. All right, folks in the audience, thank you for joining us. We're going to ask you, what are your big challenges coming up? We have the poll. Now, the panelists haven't seen the poll and the audience wouldn't have seen this poll either. So here comes the poll number one. It's going to flash up on your screen. We're going to ask you, what are the big challenges that you face as corporate leaders facing today? What is the biggest challenge you are facing with, which hinders scaling your product or business? What's the big roadblock right now? Is it identifying new markets? Is it identifying distribution channels and partnerships? Is it identi- sorry, understanding customer insights? Fear of risk, this is a real fear in corporates, organizational structures. Dr. Kevin, which one do you think will win? Which do you think is the biggest challenge facing businesses today? Corporate, large corporates particularly. New markets. I'm going to go with new markets. I'm new gonna, markets. Mohan, you want to nail your colors to the mast? I think it'll be understanding customer insights. Customer insights. TG? Yeah, I think customer insights are the most key. Customer insights, okay. We've got about 50% of the votes coming in now, a few more trickling in. Yeah, so this is real, especially for corporates, that the challenge, there's a lot of pressure, but how do we relate that to implementing new projects, scale? It seems to me that we are close to the end of voting, so if we have a few seconds left, get your votes in. If you haven't voted, now is the time whatever is the challenge at the top of your list. And then I'm going to ask the panelists to share a little bit of insights into stories from their own world, a very diverse group of stories coming up. We've got diapers, bikes, and resorts. How about that for a mixed group of industries? There's not a lot of tech in that either. Well, not a lot of tech as we know it in the previous webinars where we've talked about AI, for example, this is very much more traditional industry. So it's going to be interesting to see how they dealt with the challenge of scale, which is great. So the number one challenge, maybe we can end the poll. If you missed, sorry guys, you've just missed the cut. Number one challenge by a clear mile, understanding customer insights, nearly half of them. So nearly half of the people here today, the audience say that's their biggest challenge. That sort of resonates with what we're talking about. I'm sure Pringles had that problem as well. So, all right, let's press on. Thanks, guys. We'll come back to that data in a minute. We'll use those as talking points. So let's look at what's coming up in terms of the case studies. What are we going to talk about today? Diapers, bikes, and resorts. So diapers, top of the hour. We, we like to talk about diapers, bikes, and resorts because they're not necessarily the most obvious choices of business case studies. And obviously, here is our panel to help pull apart these case studies and understand the problems, particularly from the angle of customer insights as well. Kevin, you've got to go first. You know everything about diapers now. 
I'm sure, without spare us the details, you are the expert <laughs> in these matters. Why are we talking about diapers and customer insights? Okay, so I, I once had to do a, a, a consulting gig for a, a diaper company. And as a result, uh, this is prior to being a father myself, uh, so I had to look into to the research and to try to understand how I can help this diaper company uh, improve and innovate. And one of the most interesting case studies that I came across uh, was the notion of selling diapers online. I mean, why, why would you want to sell diapers online? And, and one of the most interesting stories about that uh, is the very first, it turns out that selling diapers was one of the first e-commerce uh, e ideas one of the first products that went on econ. And why, why did that happen? Simply, there, were, there was a, a couple of, you know, it always starts with uh, in the, fo uh, the founder who became a new father and realized that it was really, really inconvenient to go to the store to, to buy diapers. Diapers are big, they're bulky, they come in big, big packets. And if, you, if you, anyone has a child, you would know how many of these things they, they go through a day, if not a week. So you got to buy in bulk. It's really inconvenient. Uh, and on top of that, you you have to manage your child, and you have to order these things. It's just mad, okay? So uh, what this this comp uh, these two guys who founded it, one was a finance genius, and the other one was a, a, a newly found uh, newly uh, just a father, right? And so one of the things they did was they went to the supermarket to to try to understand customer insights, and they found something really quite interesting to their surprise. They found all these packets of diapers were they're all sitting around and some of them were torn open with one diaper sitting outside. And it, it occurred to me like, why is this happening? And after enough observations, they realized that every time a father was sent to the, to the store because the mother is busy with the baby, the father gets sent to the store. The father comes to the store and he realizes one thing. I have no idea what size diaper my kid wears. So a typical father would open it take out one, hold it in 3D and say, oh, my kid looks roughly this size, so this must be the right one. <laughs> so that's how they do it. Now, obviously, that's going to cost a, a lot of uh, uh, wastage. And these guys and the, 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 tech, the finance geek realize that, wait, wait, hang on, why don't, we, why don't we buy diapers online? And they realize first, convenient, right? Second issue that they realize why this would be good is because the diapers as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a product is very easy to predict or estimate your, uh, your customer base. Why? You're going to know just by looking at the number of children that gets born every year, you know roughly the size. You can estimate how long they're going to be, once they use your brand, they, how long they're going to be your customer for two, three years. So you can kind of make a really good estimate of, of how, how much stock to take. Now, beyond that, the question is, they also talk about diapers as fairly uh, commoditized, right? Whether it's Huggies or, or Pampers, is, is more or less the same. So that's what it did. Now, then the other thing that it did was to make sure the design on the smartphone is that you can order your diapers with one hand. Why? Because one hand holding the child, the other hand order diapers. So that's all done really great. They thought they had this down. They started uh, running the business. Initially, it went well. And then they realized one problem, really, really expensive. So scaling this product was going to be tough. Yes, everyone started to order it because it was convenient. You don't have to go to the store anymore. You can sell and uh, you can send and buy. I can order and buy. Very good. But from the company perspective, it was costly, right? Because if you, again, remember, it's the size of the diaper packet. So they, they, would, they would, you know, FedEx and whatnot, they don't look at weight. They look at the size. It became really expensive. So how did they improve this business? That's where they delve, dive back into understanding the customer and realize one thing. 
if you're using diapers for your child, that's not the only product you use. There's all these other things. There's cream, there's, there's uh, wet wipes. Then they realize that to whenever you want to look after a child, it's not just diapers, it's, it's wet wipes, it's creams and all that. Put all this into the box. So you sell all this periphery. So the margins they were getting from selling the diapers was the core product was very little, but the margins that they could get was from the other products where you just toss it in. So the cost of, of, of delivering diapers now and the product is the same, but you are selling, you're upselling with a whole series of other products. So you became a package and that's how they scaled the business. It's a great story. Yeah. What we're going to do, thanks Kevin, we're going to come back to these points in a minute. Let me just share with the audience how we're going to document these case studies. I'm going to share with you the key points from these case studies on Airtable. Now, Airtable is a tool, a bit like a, here we go, some of the key points from Kevin's story, talking about periphery and upselling, handcrafting the solution and so on. And what's going to happen is we're going to update this Airtable. And this, again, it's just like an Excel spreadsheet, but a lot more 21st century. Now, we're going to update it as they walk through the case studies. And then when we come to the case study at the end, I'm going to ask the panelists to work on the Airtable to solve a fictional challenge, a case study, which I'm going to present to the audience and the panelists as well. So we've categorized some of the key takeaways from the diaper case study. Let's hand it over to Mohan. Let's go into a completely different area now if we can get the slides back. So Mohan, cycling, take us there. I mean, this is an area, I mean, it's hugely competitive, but again, you know, you have its own idiosyncrasies with the industry, you know, a very specific group of buyers, etc. How do you scale a business like this? Maybe you can give a little bit of background to it as to why we're talking about bikes and yourself as well. Right. Actually, uh, basically, I'm from the IT industry. I grew up in the IT industry. But then for the last 10 years, I sort of joined my uh, partner in uh, technology bikes, wanted to have a completely different experience. And I kind of helped them do a digital transformation from a small fledgling SME became a substantial SME. We used ERP systems and all that. But what was important was also our principle, which was track in the US. Uh, they were doing very well, uh, very successful. They were in the hyper growth mode and all that. And they were like just Clayton Christensen with the milkshake case study. You know, how do I expand this particular segment, customer segment? They were trying to understand the customers a bit better in the whole concept of cycling, where they wanted to create this concept called cycling is the new golf, you know, where the customer, they got this customer insight that regular cyclists were a very vain bunch of people. Uh, when they get a, they buy a bicycle, it's like my baby. And uh, I want to be seen when I'm riding on the road. And when I'm with my buddies, it must be a talking point. So vanity and, uh, you know, uh, was very important to a lot of the cyclists out there. So what they did was they came up with a creative, innovative platform. Uh, they created this innovative platform where customers could actually create a personalized bike. And that platform was called Project One. And you can Google it now and you can actually see it. And you personalize your frames in various colors. 
various components, various accessories, saddles, and all that. And it becomes my bike. It becomes my baby. So when I'm riding on the road and all that, anybody says, where do you get this? This is my bike. You'll never get this anywhere else because I, I crafted it and I created it. Now, in this network economy, in this network uh, in, uh, with internet and all that, the customers were customizing their bike directly with the manufacturers, where distributors like us were actually making sure they were fitted properly, they got the right size and all that. And actually, everything was like, you know, magic for these guys. And the beauty of what they did was uh, the whole concept had to work with a very sophisticated supply chain. They had to connect with a very sophisticated supply chain. So because it was all real-time, they're not going to carry massive inventory. You wanted Shimano parts. You wanted uh, a frame like that. You wanted accessories. You wanted group sets and all that. It has to be real-time. So they created, what they did was they experimented small first, tried out with the uh, road bike industry first, a group of road bikers, made sure that they uh, sort out all the kinks and all that. And then suddenly it became a hit because everybody who are all the road cyclists and all that said, I want to create my own bike. And uh, it suddenly flew off. And the moment it started to work very well, uh, then they expanded into all the different, all the different uh, cyc cycling uh, models. So they went into the triathlons, the triathletes, they went for mountain bikers and all that. Now, the, the problem was it, it was getting so successful but the other uh, bicycle companies could not keep up because they, they didn't have that sophisticated supply chain, which these guys already got economies of scale and were doing very well. So the barrier of entry was very high. So the thing was, in the hyper growth mode, you still can find, uh, if you understand your customers, you can get sufficient insights of your customers, you are able to find new market segments and actually penetrate that and create new value for the customer. And the most important thing is that uh, they understood the customer from a desirability point of view, and then they tested whether it was feasible and whether it was viable. And with these three things, part of the design thinking process, they used lean startup te techniques like experiment small, and then after that, once it's working, iron out the problems and then implement big. And today, nobody can actually come clear to, uh, near to them with regards to uh, project one. And the distributors love it because... That is a new value, a new, uh, what do you call that, a competitive advantage for Trek today. You know, not, nobody can come close to that. So that was an excellent example for someone in the hyper-growth, still able to find a new market segment, which I think Clayton Christensen was saying that you need to know what job that particular uh, innovation needs to do for you and all that. And this was all because you're using technology, cycling, understanding the customer and putting it all together was wonderful. Fantastic. It's a great case study as well. And particularly relevant when you consider, for example, you're competing against exceptionally competitive landscape. You think about Chinese manufacturers entering cycling as well. And I know a lot of the, the, the parts are made either in the US or in Taiwan, for example, but you have a lot of lower end manufacturers coming into the market. And how do you compete? But Trek have done an amazing job. And, you know, especially with the support of distributors like yourself in the region. So it's a great case study. We'll come back to that. Thank you, Mohan. Now we're going to move on to possibly what is one of the hardest case studies to crack. I mean, if you are in the business of physical real estate, you can't simply 
build or reclaim land in the sea, well, maybe you can, but there's not a lot of that you can do. You know, how do you scale a resort where, you know, you can't build up, build out? There's a lot of limitations, isn't there? You've got a fixed amount of land. You've got a fixed amount of attractions. You've got a fixed amount of restaurants. When you're given the job of scaling this project, TG, you must look at it and think, well, we're talking single digit growth here. Where is the upside? How do you take a project like this and really deliver results? So maybe you can give a little bit of background what we're talking about now and then how you address the challenge. Sure. So, so first off, right, I, a disclaimer, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm coming from that picture. There, there, are, there are a few inter- integrated results. <laughs> so second thing is, uh, you know, coming to Mohan's point about customizing your bike, right? I own a Brompton. I customize my bike. The mistake I made is I asked my wife for a color and whatever, and I ended up with a very girly bike. So be careful about that. <laughs> it's your bike. Don't let her touch it. Yeah. Okay. So coming back to uh, to my experience in the integrated resort. So a number of years ago, a few years ago, I was the uh, CIO in one of the integrated resort, and uh, we have a particular challenge at that time. It is how do we actually hypergrowth the resort? How do we double the numbers? So we went through a whole day brainstorming and whatever it is. And, uh, you know, to what Kelvin and Mohan say, right? Knowing your customer and knowing, knowing a market, so on and so on, doing a product. But at the end of the day, I tell you, when it comes to actually hyper-growing an organization, something that most people don't uh, overlook is actually, how do you actually introduce change to your organization? How do you actually make sure your entire organization understand where you're going for? So resort world, okay, the word is out. So anyway, we, we, we were 13,000 people at that time. How do you ensure that 13,000 people knows where to move? So we, the, the, the thing to do is that when you come to a big organization and you want to communicate to the whole organization, you need to come up with something very simple. So we just came with one word. One more time. Right, so everyone understand one more time. If your customer go to visit you one more time, if the casino player go and uh, uh, go to the bar, uh, baccarat table one more time, if the hotel guest stay one more night, if the Universal Studio guest right on uh, come back again one more time, if the restaurant guy come back one more time, essentially you can get everybody to do one more time. You double your growth. So very simple message, and I think it resonates. It's the same with uh, many organizations that has been successful. You, you, you look at it, right? Ritz Carlton have a mission. And the mission is, we are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. So it's very, very simple. Everyone recognizes it. Everybody can, re- all their staff can uh, identify with it. So with that, we cascade around the whole organization. Very simple message. Everyone understands that. But the key part is that, how do you actually actualize that? How do you actually do the one more time? Then it comes down to, my task as the head of technology, how do you actually actualize that? To actualize that, you need to know the customer. And how do you know customer? We have tens of thousands of customers coming to the, the resort every day. And uh, how do you actually understand every customer? That brings back to the point of, can we do mass personalization, right? So if you go to SIA, for instance, you have business class, they identify you by name. Hey, hi, Mr. Brown, hi, hi Dr. Young, and you feel very good, right? So can we actually do that to our 15, 20,000 customers that come in every day? 
it is a massive thing. And uh, we look at it and say, okay, we need to do mass personalization. Can we know as many customers as possible? How do we collect that information with PDPA and whatever? Then it comes around, you know, think out of the box. What do everybody want when they come to a, 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 a place, right? They want Wi-Fi because uh, bandwidth of obviously is expensive, right? So we provide free Wi-Fi and return for free Wi-Fi. You got to, you know, sign up and say, okay, I agree to pass all my entire life savings to Resolver. <laughs> so please read all the fine prints the next time you, uh, you get anything free, right? So there's a lot of things inside there. <laughs> so essentially what uh, the fine print says is that uh, we reserve the right to collect all information as long as you are within the resort. So we will know where you go, which restaurant you visit, you know, what you spend on, how long you spend on, on, on a particular item. And from that, you start to build a profile. And, uh, and then you link it to, you know, there's, there's a lot of CRM inside there. You start to link it, okay, this guy is the father of this particular guy who is the uncle of this particular So there is a whole algorithm behind that. So, how, so once you build that, then it's not the very difficult thing then to target these people, right? So if you know that the wife of Mr. ABC likes Victoria's Secret, then when you know the wife is uh, birthday is coming, say, hey, Mr. ABC, the wife is coming, she's visited Victoria's Secret, she bought this thing, why don't you go there? And so we give you a voucher to do it, right? Or if you know that you've gone to a restaurant before and you, you, the particular restaurant, you, we know they like it, it says, why don't you go to the restaurant and give you a 20% voucher? So just think about it, right? How powerful it is when you can do mass personalization, understand your, your customers really well, and be able then to target them. Of course, for Singaporeans and PR, we can't target them to go to a casino because the CRA, it's in Singapore, right? I mean, I, I really admire our Singapore government because they're so strict to ensure that we don't target uh, our, our locals to go to a casino. You know, many you send the wrong thing to, to a Singaporean, we get a whole heck of a, a lot of questions from the government. So knowing the customers is super important for us to make sure that we don't give a, a free casino chip to a, to a Singaporean. So we obviously want people to go to a casino because that's where you know, the, 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 the magic happens, right? And, uh, and my boss once said, you know, if, if we can just run a casino, I'd rather not run Universal Studio and all the hotels and all those other things. <laughs> because casino make 90% of profits. <laughs> so so to, to, to be able to drive that traffic requires us to know customers very well. And to actually have a whole organization on one message, you need to have a very simple message. And in our case, one more time. Do you think it could have been done without one more time? If you didn't have that message... Well, I, I guess it can be done on more time, but it won't be as effective. So for instance, right, even a waiter knows that, well, we want that particular customer to come back one more time. So what do you do? You treat the customer better. So there is a lot of underlying behavior that actually changes once people understand what the customer, what, what a company strategy is. Yeah. Yeah. We see that a lot, don't we, with great case studies. Often there's a very simple message behind it that encapsulates the goal of the growth plan, right? And one more time is a good example that often it isn't rocket science, but it allows everybody at all levels of the organization to get on board. And that sort of brings all the assets together. So what we're doing is we are collecting these key points in the air table, which will be back in a minute. So hopefully we can review some of this as we go into the case study. So thank you for the panelists for setting the scene the Airtable will be coming back. But before we get that, we're going to give the audience a chance to 
decide our fate and direction. We are just servants here today, providing you with insights and interesting stories. We're going to talk about the case study. This is the real business end of the webinar. And here I have assembled the smartest, potentially the smartest experts in the industry to solve the problem coming up. Let's have a look at the case study coming. So if we can just set the scene. So I have set the challenge for our panelists today. And it's a little bit different from the case studies because I'm going to give the audience the chance to vote on the project, which we're going to break down. So Kachang Bank is obviously the most successful bank in Southeast Asia. And it grew from a hawker stand of legend out just outside of Newton Hawker Center. And now is Southeast Asia's largest bank. You know, everything from foreign remittances of payments to blockchain to even enabling hawker stall owners to collect money for their services. So that's Kachang Bank. That's, we all know Kachang Bank here in Singapore. It's a legend and it's the stuff of case studies in every business school. And I have assembled the leadership team here to um, address the problem. So we brought together the leadership team and they sent their consultants off to do the market research and find out what were the potential options, A or B options for Kachang Bank. Because like all banks, you know, there was a time when they were a challenger, but now they're their incumbent. And then the incumbent becomes slow and unwieldy and they have this thing called scale because they've got to deliver shareholder value. And how do you do that when you're a bank and you've only got so many retail branches and so much staff in the thousands as well. So this is what the consultants came back with, team. They gave you two choices. These were the two projects which they put on the table. Auntie Pay, which was a payment um, system, some sort of technology, I guess, mobile technology for aimed at those who were less technologically able. And um, that was number one. That was A, because... I put in auntie pain because every week we do uncle something rather than somebody said, what about, why is it always uncle? So obviously we're giving auntie a vote now. So auntie pay was the first project. And then Chopa was a mobile app for Kachang bank users, customers that they could reserve uh, Hawker stand seats, especially now that they're limited in number. We will have to be social distancing folks. So we're half in number. So you can actually choke them in advance using your, by linking your bank account to the service and the seat and even integrating that with payments as well. And by the way, if you're a little bit confused, and there is no uh, re reference to real life banks here. Kachang Bank doesn't actually exist, just in case you're wondering why you haven't heard about it yet. And if you're outside of Singapore, apologies if I'm sounding very local. Uh, but this is just a fictional case study. So what's going to happen is you have two options, option A for Auntie Pay and option B for Chopa. A, Auntie Pay, B, Chopa, in the chat box below. If you want to break down Auntie Pay and see our team attack the problem of how they would actually scale Kachang Bank using Auntie Pay, then in the chat box below, just say Auntie. And if you want them to look at Chopa, say Chopa or Chope. There you go, in the chat box. So just put your votes in the chat box. Here they come. All the votes are coming in. It seems to be an equal distribution here. Auntie, Chopa, they're all getting a fair share of the votes. I think it might be a two, it might be a straight 50-50 run in here. 
But I think Auntie Pay might just have the edge. Auntie Pay, maybe. I think we might go with Auntie Pay, folks. Thanks for your votes so far. Appreciate your contribution. Let's bring up the air table just as the votes come in, just some of the final votes come in. So what we're going to do is we're going to share the air table, which will be our tool of choice. And then I'm going to ask the leadership team to, between the three of them, nominate a leader. So between yourself, TG, Mohan, and Kevin, who will be the leader for this. You can arm wrestle, flip a coin. Kevin. Or just... <laughs> Kevin. Kevin. Kevin has volunteered. Right, Kevin. Kevin, you are... So here we are. These are the points that you raised in the three case studies that between the three of you. We've collected your data points, um in problem, solution, product, and journey. Now, you are the leadership team of Kachang Bank, and you are now tasked by the board to make Auntie Pay work. So how would you break this down? So I think what people are really interested in, the audience, is actually your thought processes as a team. How do you think about the problem? How do you break down problems? How do you step it out? And how do you communicate between yourselves in this process? So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go quiet and let Kevin take the floor. So the mic's yours. If audience you have any questions and feel free to jump in and i'll pipe up when that group of questions appear but take it away so oh, you can drag and drop these around as you're speaking we can add notes um but your challenge is the growth plan for kachang bank using auntie pay how would you go about this okay so gentlemen uh a few things i think we need to start thinking about first of all we've done uh, based on my experience I understand that people rather go to the dentist than go to the bank, All right? So remember that uh, lining up and getting a service at a bank, a lot more painful than going to the dentist. And we all know how painful it is to go to the dentist. So that's something worth noting. Second, in the context of Singapore, I have to use a, a food example. Uh, imagine trying to, you know, Singaporeans love to line up in one particular instance when I'm lining up for my favorite bar chow mein with uh, noodles and people are willing to 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 line up a really really long time because they're going to get that great uh, you know delayed gratification or something but they're going to get that that one thing they want so if you think about long lines and, and going to the banks uh, so the, the problem is it's not banking services is getting to that banking service that that's a problem here so we need to think about a few things first thing uh, who exactly is our customer again let's take a step back and think again about who our customer is uh, and and this is one of those products where you're going to have a real diversity of customers we you know singapore has what uh, 5.6 million people living and working here we should be able to come up with a banking service that caters to 5.6 million people and that, that's the customer base we're looking at even the even the kid who's, who's born uh, and i know that my kid has a bank account the moment he's born. So let's think about how he's going to use that bank account to, to pay for stuff, right? Um, now, if I were to build off some of the insights that the two of you have taken from your from your previous experiences, I think I think the key here is one, in, in understanding our, our, our customer, we have to go after mass customization, Mohan, as you mentioned, the mass customization. Now, and and it's the same as the one more time, right? Tiongi, it's about it's about how I, I go back to rely on using this solution again and again and again. I, I, I want to not even think about it and use the solution. Now, the other interesting thing that I think is really important here is uh, we probably want to know who we're partnering to get this done at scale. And, and Mohan, you mentioned this about the, the importance of the supply chain. And I couldn't help but think about the story of Amazon 
when Amazon first came out and started selling books on 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 the on the platform, one of the big criticisms was that uh, Amazon Amazon was going to put all the bookstores out out of out of out of business. Interestingly, when as Amazon tried to scale, the way that they scaled was to partner back this small com- uh, bookshops. Why? When we the customer experience of going onto the website, when I order a book, I assume the book is coming from Amazon. But as long as the book gets delivered to me in a box that says Amazon, that's great. I got my book from Amazon. So Amazon is very smart. Instead of holding big warehouses of, of inventory, what, what they do is send box, Amazon boxes to all the, the, the bookstores all over the world. And I say, for example, if I go online and I, I order something, instead of Amazon sending the book all the way from the US, they'll just look for the closest Kinokuniya to me. Right, Kinokia gets the order. They put it into a box that says Amazon. They send it to me. I get the book. So, 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 gentlemen, let's let's build on our, our previous understandings of these things to work out the solution. Sure, Kevin. If if I may, right, I I have a couple of points over here. You know, you're looking at uh, at the crux of it, changing behavior. I mean, your people are used to using cash. So, how do, how do you break that behavior? And as with every technology, every new innovation, there's an inflection point. How do we actually push you know, the masses towards that inflection point? I think key to that is how do we do that? Do we actually understand our customers enough? Do we, based on the, the database we have, all the customers uh, within our database, who are the most uh, vulnerable in terms of using a new technology? Obviously, the older folks, right? So how do we actually help these older folks overcome the barrier, the, the fear of using a new technology. If you can do that, if there's enough of them to actually move across, then uh, I think the mass adoption will become uh, re- relatively much simpler. If you can get them to the inflection point, if you can get an old folk to actually help that old folk, uh, you know, we can incentivize somebody to be an ambassador, right? Uh, someone within the same peer group, right? So. For instance, right, people listen to their peer group. If you get somebody to be a leader of a peer group, train them how to use it, train their friends how to use it, use a new technology. And if enough of them use it, they like it, then I think we will get to mass adoption. And once you get mass adoption, I think that uh, will be, uh, the rest will be you know, relatively easier. I think I agree with Tiongi because remember we talk about design thinking, you talk about the extreme users on both ends that you customize something that you take care of the extreme users. In our case, the extreme user will be the old folks and those who are really techies who know how to use the young ones who are the millennials and all that. So to them, that's not a problem of doing pay, using uh, payment services, using technology and all that. So what you say that the extreme user in terms of the old folks who are, who really, if we can come up with a solution which is addresses that particular uh, portion, that particular segment, then all the way down, uh, down to the, uh, the other extreme user who is a hyper user, uh, it won't be a problem because you are solving a problem for everyone. So the question is, what are the requirements and the pain points of that extreme user? Uh, what do you think, Kevin? <laughs> no, I always uh, take comfort in the fact that China, right? China, the world country in the past, probably moving towards first world, I mean, the use of uh, e-payment is so prevalent. Young, old, everybody is using e-payment. So the fact that China could move the entire population, hundreds of millions of people towards that, is worth looking at, worth learning. 
they, 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 they obviously got to a point where they have mass adoption and uh, just push the entire population over. I mean, you guys who've been to China knows that even the street beggar uses a QR code when they ask you, when they ask you for money. So that's point number one. Number two, I think, uh, Kevin, you mentioned a point about trust. I think trust is fundamentally a, a big issue here. You know, even among my friends, I'm a boomer. And uh, you imagine that people my age, most of them would be very comfortable using e-payment and whatever. You'd be surprised. I mean, I have a, a number of them, university graduates like myself, don't trust e-payment. So fundamentally, that is an issue that has to be addressed first. Understanding a customer. So among the issues, not only the elderly, the elderly don't have the smartphone. They, and uh, to your point again, you're right, right? I mean, I was uh, uh, trying to top up my cash card the other day. And in front of me was 10 elderly folks, every one of them with the bank book, every single one. And it takes a heck of a long, long time doing their updating. I was, I was getting a bit irritated. But, but then that is the fact of the matter, right? So we need to actually slowly transform that. Build trust, number one, and then build technology. Can we build technology? Yes, technology is always easy, but understand the customer journey. Why are they doing that? Because they don't trust the system. So again, again, you're pointing to the, the two core principles of mass customization. And what do I mean by that is, regardless of where you're from, trust matters. Now, what we need to understand is the, the different, different ways in which trust is communicated to the end user. So there's going to be different forms of uh, uh, ways that a bank can get the customer to, under, uh, to trust me, right? to trust the bank. Again, it, it, for, for different folks, different strokes, but I think we really need to really study trust and, and how we uh, communicate trust. Second, uh, again, for this kind of mass customization to work, uh, we really must think about the, the supply chain. We must think about the entire network of, of vendors and customers, uh, the partners, uh, who will help us communicate that trust uh, in in a machine, right? So I think I think that, again I think it comes back is the same as, as the bicycle. I mean the fact that the the track guys can think uh, about vanity, right? It's trust. But then but then if, if before we build this, I, I always want to take a step back and think: Is trust really the key to everything? Are we missing something that we haven't considered? Um, and and if you think about China, uh, I mean some will argue that uh, to change to a cashless society it has something to do with culture as well. Uh, uh, one argument could be that in, in a Chinese collectivist culture, because it's a collectivist culture, then trust is in the system. I can trust the system. Uh, so therefore, therefore, uh, the big uptake is faster. And perhaps in the Singapore culture, it's not as collectivist. Singapore is a bit of a mix of individualism and, and collectivism, some kind of in-between. Um, then, then we have to think about what, what, what uh, triggers uh, trust at the individual level uh, and, and that matters. So, so I, I would, you know, I would test something. I would, I would develop a few solutions and we can try it out. And then, uh, what, one was it, uh, minimum viable products, bring it to market, test, 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 test. Yeah, we do a small experiment with the segmented customers, a few customers, and then we can test it out mm -hmm. with them. Uh, maybe you, even with a passbook with a small chip in it, you know, you know, the, when you talk about the bank book, maybe there's a chip with that attached to that. It's just integrating both, uh, Technology with uh, non-tech yeah. tech stuff, you know. But I think it's imp yeah. it's important yeah. that uh, for for the adoption adoption of new technology like this, uh, the 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 older folk must experience that new bank book technology in the same way that they've always experienced the bank book. The the interesting thing about this is that uh, 
older folks like to listen to the older folks, you know. So you like you say the ambassadors and the influencers, uh, they you get them to start using it, and the other guy said, yeah, they they are using it means I think I can do it myself because when they start to see the younger ones use it and all that, and they said. Yeah, these guys are young. I'm not in that age category. But when you start to use, like, like my dad himself, uh, he he is 93 years old, but he is he's got Facebook fans. He got all kinds of you know WhatsApp and all that. He's more IT savvy than me. But the thing is, he's the one who's telling others over there, hey, let's go on Zoom and do our practice of this and that and all that. So that ambassadors, there's someone who can trigger off the rest of the people around and people who can relate. To that age group and all that, I think that would be a very interesting way to do our experiments uh, with. Yeah, I, uh, with just one more point to add, right? So one of one of the uh, audience uh, TC mentioned uniformity of the system. So I I, I totally agree with, agree with him. I mean, in China they have this system, uh, the WeChat, and it's so prevalent, so you know, so everywhere, right? So a common system that runs across the entire country. The, the problem we have in Singapore is that we have so many companies coming up with their own payment system and there's no uniformity. So people get confused. And uh, but how do you do that, right? So uh, is there a possibility for central authority interference, you know, to actually be able to provide two things, right? One is trust and number two, uniformity. And number three, you know, the, the, the cost of transaction, I mean, what, what, what the app and the bank stake is so low, whereas in Singapore, it's still way too high. So to actually do that, these three things need to be overcome. And to overcome that, I, I think uh, it's not something banks can overcome. It needs probably a central authority to, to actually mandate something to, for this to happen. Gentlemen, that was fantastic. I'm going to ask Dr. Kevin to summarize very shortly, but before we do, and also how the audience who have been very patient and been with us for the entire hour, that's an hour that's flown by. Would you believe it or not? That was very fast. How everybody can get copies of the PDF from today's slides if you want to get everything as well. Maybe somehow we can make available the Airtable as well. We can give people access to that. We'll work on that one with everybody if you want those notes from it. Um, what about the cost? Absolutely, it's free to you folks. It's a joke. That's one of the comments from the chat. So, And this hour has been very fun, but I'm going to ask Dr. Kevin to summarize very quickly in a minute. And if you want to connect with any of the panelists today, I'm sure they'll be interested to continue this conversation with you in whatever form that takes place. Here are all these details. If you're not going to get that in time, then ask us for the PDF. And this is how you can get a copy of the PDF. Um, get the PDF. You can speak to Alice and say, hey, Alice, give me the PDF. Don't worry, she's nice. So I used that joke last time and it didn't work too well. But anyway, so Alice at SIM. So ask for the PDF. She'll be happy to give you a copy of the PDF so you can get all the details from today's webinar as well as the details of all the panelists as well. And um, just before we summarize, don't forget, next time we have a special because next time is the grand finale of Series 1. Um, 
we're going to have a little bit of a surprise. Obviously, the doctor is back, so there's no surprise there. Um, we haven't got him singing or doing anything special. He's going to be sharing his insights and I'm sure lots more food insights as well. And he's going to share some insights just as we summarize in a minute. But before the doctor's summary, this is how you can get a seat for episode number six. Don't miss this. You can grab yourself a reservation for episode number six which is coming up shortly which is the grand finale of the series we've got some special guests we're also going to give you the audience a chance to ask questions live that's going to be a first how about that that could all go horribly wrong but that's the fun of doing live it's right to the wire we're on the edge you're the live experience we're able to deliver despite all the potential technological hiccups that could happen in a live show and some great insights from the panel today so thank you very much panelists for sharing your insights really appreciate it and working through helping us understand how you think through those challenges but as true to form, this is the time for the summary. I'm going to ask Dr. Kevin to summarize. Today has been an interesting walkthrough, and we didn't wow people with heavy technology today. It was some very basic common sense insights and advice, but often common sense uncommonly found, doesn't it, within these uh, business four walls? What's the summary from today? What's the takeaway, the key advice that you'd give to the audience? Right. Again, I'm going to say this in nauseam. Start with your customer, handcraft your understanding of your customers. So do it yourself. Be very clear about what your core competency is. Take the diaper company. Your core competency is in diapers. Your core competency is delivering the entire diaper changing experience and your customer is the parent, it's not the child, right? If you look at technology, the, the comp core competency is not selling bicycles, it's selling an image, it's selling the vanity, it's selling the, that experience. Uh, at, at the Resort 12, it's not about gambling. It's about one more time. Their core competency is getting you to repeat that experience that you want. Now, cutting across all this tree are two very simple principles, mass customization. And to deliver mass customization, you really need to understand your core competency and you really be able to pivot that core competency according to the, as you update your understanding of your customer, right? And also your business model. Then last but not least, Always think about your supply chain or rather what we talked about in the last episode, ecosystem collaboration. The only way you can do this at scale is you must partner, even if that partner is a competitor. And that's how, it, that's how you scale up uh, without screwing up. Fantastic. Great advice. Great roundup. And if you want any advice as well, insights on scaling up and agile or partnering with your competitors as well. We talked about that in previous webinars. So go to the podcast and subscribe to the podcast. If you missed that one, we talked about ecosystem collaboration. Gentlemen, TG, Mohan, Dr. Kevin, wonderful. I really enjoyed today. I thought today was very educational and informative and fun as well. And thanks for being good sports and sharing your insights with us and you know, sharing those with the audience here today. Thank you, audience, for joining us for the full hour. Well done, folks. Great turnout. I know you're all busy people, but thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time. Take care, everybody. Signing out, Graham Brown. Take care. You have been listening to The Future of Work with me, Graham Brown. If you like what you heard, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to leave a review and a rating on your favorite episode. We'll be back with a brand new episode in two weeks.